the presence of God into this place today. God, we love you and we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to be in your house. We've come to this place to lift our voices, our hands in praise and worship to you to exalt the name that is above every name. Lord, we enter into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise today. We pray once again that your perfect and divine will would be accomplished in this sanctuary. Let every individual that walks through the doors of the assembly feel the touch and the presence and the love of a mighty God. Lord, we pray that your will would be done, that souls would be saved, that hearts would be delivered, that people would be drawn closer to you in this place today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody just shout in Jesus' name. Oh, one more time in Jesus' name. Would you put your hands together? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this house. He's great and greatly to be praised. He's worthy. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. God bless you. You can be seated in Jesus' name. Thank you for your participation this morning. It's so good to be back in Baytown, Texas, Peace Tabernacle today uh, with you guys and brother and sister Grant. We love each and every one of you. And again, thank you for uh, the time that we were able to spend here before. And you you blessed us, you helped us, you strengthened us. Uh, you were a refuge for us. And we are very, very, very thankful and grateful for uh, the friendships that we made and uh, the kindness uh, that each and every one of you showed to us. And uh, we are thankful that uh, we were in invited to come back. And uh, I don't know if that meant Brother Grant didn't feel like preaching today or uh, or if they really wanted us to come back. But we're glad that we're here, and uh, we're thankful for the opportunity. Amen. want to talk to you for just a few moments, uh, if I can, this morning. And, and it may seem more like a story, and, and uh, that's the way that somehow find myself end up teaching sometime, but it's probably a story that you know, perhaps you've heard, you're familiar with the uh, the history of about uh, what I'm about to say, but uh, kind of the crux of, of my thought this morning is just uh, about being human. We're all human, and we all have human problems, and we all uh, face human circumstances and human situations, and we all have failures because we are human. And God understands that. He made us. He created us. He, he, he formed us, and He understands the, the, the problems that came with our, our failure, with humanity's failure in the Garden of Eden. Can I submit to you that since that very moment, since the moment that Adam and Eve uh, failed in disobedience to God, God has had a plan in place. I believe that the Word of God says that He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world. Before God even made, He recognized our ability to fail and put a plan in place to deal with that. I've got failures. I've got shortcomings. I, 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 I make poor decisions often. But God in His mercy and His grace has a way to deal with that. And if I will turn to Him and lean on Him and, and trust in Him in faith, amen. I, I'm so glad that my salvation, I'm glad that my relationship with God does not depend on my 
my goodness, my ability to earn it, or my ability to pay for it. He freely gives it. Amen. The 73rd Psalm, if you want to, uh, if you have your Bibles and want to turn there and look at this passage of Scripture, uh, I won't ask you to stand because we'll just kind of jump right off into uh, the teaching there this morning. The 73rd Psalm, the Psalms are simply uh, songs and uh, each and every one of those, these, even though it's hard for us to see it and understand it, sometimes is actually a song. Uh, that is is written, and in all probability, at the time that it was written uh, by whomever it was written by was set to music, and it was something that they sang in the temple, in the the house of David, in the tabernacle. Uh, they they set it to music. Now we have some of these that we have set to music, and and uh, we have used them as songs, or at least uh, basis for songs that we sing today. Uh, but because of the language and because of the translation from Hebrew to Greek to English, uh, it doesn't always carry the melody and the, the rhyme and the rhythm that we uh, are used to in songs. But nevertheless, each and every one of these uh, psalms is a song. And I believe that the Word of God is inspired. Holy men of old wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God moved on men to write these. Amen. There are some inspired songs. Amen. There are some thoughts. God moves on on the hearts of musicians and singers and and writers to write uh, poetically and lyrically and and give us uh, songs of worship and praise. And we find in the Psalms uh, uh, doctrine and sound doctrine. We find prophetic utterances. We find uh, a great deal of encouragement because of the nature of them. But the 73rd Psalm, and and, uh, very, very short reading here at the very beginning because uh, I need to pause and tell you the story. Uh, In my Bible, at least, there is a note under the chapter heading that says, A Psalm of Asaph. We are used to, and and, uh, just at least I do, the first thing that I think of when I think of the Psalms is David the man after God's own heart. David, the psalmist. David, the writer, wrote the psalms. But there are many psalms in here that weren't written by uh, David. There are other writers. And uh, one of my favorite psalms uh, is the psalm that says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. That wasn't written by David. That was written by Moses. But it is a beautiful, uh, not only uh, 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 words of encouragement, but, but direction. And, and it gives us some instruction in how to live our life, to put our hearts and our lives in, in a place of refuge, under the, the refuge and the overshadowing wings of God. Here we, we have a psalm that is written by Asaph. We have, uh, or at least I always did, kind of relegated Asaph to uh, kind of the footnotes. He was the guy that was in, in, in the back of our mind, and we knew kind of who he was. But if I can take just a few moments for the, the sake of the psalm, just kind of uh, remind you of who Asaph actually was. Anybody familiar with Asaph? Just, just a little bit maybe, Asaph? Asaph was, according to the Word of God and according to history, his, his father was actually a gatekeeper in the house of God. Asaph was of the lineage of 
Levi. He was a Levite. That means that he was a priest. His brother also, Zephaniah, served or was in service to, to the king. He was a priest also. But what we're probably most familiar with about Asaph is that Asaph was David's chief musician. In all probability, this man that we call Asaph, that we know as Asaph, wrote the music to most of the psalms, the songs that that David wrote. We know that David was a musician as well, but many of the psalms were, were put to music by his chief musician, Asaph. He was also noted as a seer or a prophet. Asaph was used in the prophetic gifts. He was a, uh, he was a, uh, a counsel to the king, not just as a worship leader and as a song director and as a musician, but also uh, as a priest and a man of God, a, a pr- uh, prophetic voice in the life of King David. Now we also see, if we read through the Psalms, that Asaph wrote many of the Psalms that we have in the Old Testament canon. Brother Moody, why is all this important? Hang on just a minute and I'm going to show you. Asaph wrote a lot of the, the, the psalms that we have, the 73rd Psalm being one of those. The truth of the matter is with what we have of Asaph's writings in the canon of the Old Testament in the book of the Psalms, you wouldn't, wouldn't believe it unless you really just looked at it, but we actually have more of the writings of Asaph than we do the Apostle Peter. Say, wow. <laughs> we, we actually have more of the writings and the words of Asaph than we do the Apostle James. We have more of the, the writings of Asaph than we do several of the New Testament writers. We have more of the writings of Asaph than we do many of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. So even though we don't always view it that way, he was actually a, a very prolific writer. If I could kind of use our terminology, Asaph was used of the Spirit. Asaph was moved on by the Spirit of God to write, and and God in His wisdom has seen fit to preserve many of the writings that he spoke through this man. Asaph uh, was, was David's chief musician. He wrote many of the Psalms. When most of the priests of David's day served at Gibeon, at the tabernacle in Gibeon, you remember we talked some time ago about David moving the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem when he brought it there in the tabernacle of David. Asaph was actually called to serve in Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the king was. Most of the priests served in Gibeon. Asaph served in Jerusalem. He was there. He was close to the king. He was close to the presence of the Lord. And Asaph served King David and God faithfully. All of David's reign, or from the time that he was appointed to the end of David's reign. And when David's reign ended at his death and and the kingship was transferred to Solomon, Solomon had been set up by David and and. And God told David that Solomon was going to reign and Solomon assumed the throne. And Asaph's leadership and Asaph's service transferred to Solomon. He served both David and Solomon in the house of the Lord. 
Now, I'm telling you all of this for a reason and a purpose to show you and give you a picture of the life of a man who served God by serving God's leaders and God's people. He was close to God. He was close to the presence of God. He served faithfully. His service transferred from one king to the next king. Asaph was there at the dedication of the temple. Remember that story in the Bible where the glory of God filled the house so thick that the priest couldn't minister. Asaph was there. He was a part of that scene. He was a part of that that situation and that scenario when the temple was dedicated. He served Solomon during the years where God spoke to Solomon and spoke through Solomon. He was a worship leader. Can I pause a moment and tell you that worship leaders aren't always on the platform? Well, glory. My, my, my. You don't have to be on the platform to be a worship leader. What happens on the platform doesn't always matter if what's in the pew doesn't respond. The musicians and the praise singers can play and sing the glory of God down. But if somebody in the congregation doesn't begin to respond and operate in that environment and become a channel and a conduit for the Holy Ghost to flow through and flow out of what's on the platform and what happens on the platform just blesses the platform. That's not a a word of condemnation. That's to say you do well with that. And, and thank you for allowing God to flow through you and in you and respond to the presence of God. You may not recognize it or, or realize it or be recognized as it, but you are involved in leading the worship. In every service, every time the people of God come to the house of God, you are a vital part of what happens in every service and assembly. Amen. Somebody say that's good teaching, Brother Moody. Amen. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. You are a vital part. You are a necessary part. Thank God for the people on the platform. They do a wonderful job. They do a good job. They do a great job. But so do you. Give, give yourself a hand. Give yourself. That's good. You deserve it. Amen. You deserve it. Asaph served God. He was by all accounts a righteous man. We don't have any record in the Bible. There is no record of sin in Asaph's life, when David committed adultery and when David committed murder and when David's life was a train wreck, Asaph faithfully stood on the sidelines and waited for the man after God's own heart to get his act together, and he did. But there was Asaph faithfully serving. There are no records of rebellion. There are no records of dissension when it comes to Asaph, I believe that God is looking for, God loves, God responds to faithfulness. Let me, let, me, let me say that again. God loves and responds to and looks for faithfulness. Just be there, just show up, just do your part faithfully. Day in, day out, year in, year out, all of the time. God responds to that. God looks for that. God loves that faithfulness. And we we see that borne out in the life of Asaph, his faithful service to God's leaders and to God's king. Solomon 
ascends the throne and and starts out fairly well, and you know the story, and I won't take a whole lot of time there. I know our, our time is short, but Solomon ascends the throne and do, does well for a time. And it is very obvious in the Old Testament we have uh, several books of the writings of Solomon. We know that God used him and God spoke through him. And today we have the benefit of Solomon's wisdom that came from God. God promised him wisdom. Solomon asked for wisdom instead of riches, instead of uh, uh, fame and, and all the things that he could have asked for. The Bible says that, that Solomon made a multitude of sacrifices, that Solomon made, made a multitude of, 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 of unselfish things. He gave uh, to God unselfishly of himself. And, and the Bible notes the number of sacrifices. And at one time I had it written down, I broke it down. But, but it, when you start breaking it down, it becomes almost incomprehensible what he did daily and hourly as he gave unto the Lord. And because of that, God spoke to Solomon. He said, you ask of me what you will. Wouldn't it be nice if the richest man in Texas would come to you and take out his checkbook and sign a check and hand it to you and say, you, you fill in the number. Woo! That's essentially what God did to Solomon because of his sacrifice. He signed a check and gave it to him and said, you fill it out. Whatever you ask for, I'll give to you. Solomon said, I want wisdom to, to rule your people. I want wisdom to be to be the leader that I need to be. And God blessed him with that wisdom, and we have we are the recipient of that today. You can read the books of the Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes and, and Proverbs and glean from the wisdom of God through the conduit of Solomon. But we all know that as time progressed and as Solomon uh, uh, grew and his comfort in his, his leadership and his role as, as king, he must have felt somewhat entitled because as we read the story, we see the shift of Solomon's counsel from the men of old and the men of wisdom and the men that, that God had used to counsel his father David through the years. He begins to shift his counsel to uh, younger men and his peers and men who were more concerned about their own selves than they were the people of God and the kingdom of God and the plan of God. We see Solomon begin to drift from the ways of God and we see Solomon begin to drift from the plan of God and we see as, as he marries uh, uh, women from heathen nations and to appease them he builds them houses and, and places of worship where they can worship uh, their gods and his his focus he is distracted from the things of God by the things that he intentionally surrounds himself with and and that's a lesson within itself and we don't have time to to go there today but oftentimes we surround ourselves just in in, in living life with things that distract us from what really really matters amen and Solomon allowed this to happen, and he, he begins to drift far from God. And Asaph is still there. He's still faithful. He's still serving. He's still a, a part of that. History tells us that his brother Zephaniah that I mentioned a few moments ago, and this is not the prophet Zephaniah, but this is the priest Zephaniah. He is the brother of Asaph. As they see 
Solomon drifting as God becoming more distant to the nation of Israel and to the the leadership of the nation of Israel and things begin to happen. Solomon begins to base and to build his lifestyle and the lifestyle and the riches of those that he surrounds himself with on the backs and the taxes of the people of Israel. Asaph and Zephaniah both take a stand in the house of God and in the civil areas of government where Solomon is concerned and they begin to speak out and say this is not right. They are almost lone voices in that. Solomon, what you're doing is not right. What you're doing is not good. And we know from the pages of the Word of God that there were others, uh, prophetic utterances that came to Solomon that told Solomon wisdom from the elders that said, don't do it this way. And he said, nevertheless, I, I, I am. And Asaph and Zephaniah saw this and they began to speak up and speak out to the point that Zephaniah did it uh, so loudly and, and so openly that Solomon in his court had Asaph's brother slain, had him killed. So now you have an Asaph that has served faithfully, Brother Grant, for many, many years in the house of God, in the kingdom of God, been used of God, is a righteous man, is a holy man, is a priest before God. He's done everything right to his ability, and all of a sudden standing up for what's right causes him a great deal of pain and suffering. God, this is not fair. God, this is not right. God, how in the world does this makes, make sense? We're standing up for good. We're trying to fix something that's perhaps gone off the rails a little bit here. So now, with that story in mind, let's look at the 73rd Psalm. Asaph writes, truly, God is good Israel. Now we could stop right there and just say God is good. Talk about that for a little while. We know that God is good. He's wonderful. He's mighty. He's gracious. He's loving. He's merciful. We've all experienced the goodness of God in our lives. And Asaph knew of the goodness of God because he had walked in it and experienced it and and been blessed with it for many, many years. Truly God is good to Israel, even such as are of a clean heart. He, 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 I, I'm, I'm sure that he understood and knew his own uh, failings and shortcomings and, and downfalls and, and all of those things like we all have. Solomon knew that. But for the most part, God, I, I've done my best to live right. I've, I've done my best to follow your ways and your teachings and your word. God is good to Israel. God, I know that you are good. In the back of my spirit, in the, in the back of my mind, there I understand your goodness. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I had a stumbling moment. How I was walking down the road of life and, and things and circumstances and situations and events and happening in my life out of my control. Find me, and, and because of them, I look around in a state of confusion. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Has anybody ever been confused about church or God or life? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise both of mine. Asaph let the things that he saw with his eyes confuse his mind. There, there, there's a, a struggle. Asaph becomes 
disillusioned with the things of God. All of the D words, you know the D words, right? Disillusioned, discouraged, disappointed, disheartened, depressed, downhearted. All of the D words kind of settled in on Asaph at once. I know that God is good, but I had a stumbling moment. I had a, I had a place and a season in life where I wasn't seeing things like I had seen them before. He goes on to write, But as for me, my feet were almost gone, and my steps had well nigh slipped. Why is that, Asaph? Because I was envious at the foolish. One translation says the, the boastful. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now from the story that I just told, the history of Asaph in the king's court. He looks around and says, these people aren't righteous, these people are wicked, and they're still prospering. In what universe does that make sense in a spiritual way? I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. And they don't even look like they're in any any danger of falling. Their strength is firm. They are are rooted and entrenched in power and authority and all things that, that seem to be good. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Now, I know all of you are, are rich and uh, well taken care of, and your bank account is full, and your bills are paid, and you aren't troubled as other men like me. And you aren't plagued by the cares of life like me. I'm not, not so you'll feel sorry for me, but I, I, I'm in business for myself. I own my own business. I started a job a few weeks ago, and... A gentleman that had worked for us for many, many years was the subcontractor on the job, and we delivered materials, and we told him what we needed to do, and he went in and he started the job, and he got about three-quarters of the way through, and we went and looked at the job, and it, Brother Ken, it was an absolute train wreck. He hadn't done his prep work right. He hadn't laid the floor right. He hadn't done anything right. And at the end of the day, with $7,000 worth of material on the floor, we had to go to that homeowner and say, I don't even know what to say. Well, what you're going to say is you're going to fix it. (laughs) And so $7,000 worth of material later, another seven, we finally smile and shake hands and say, it's all good. You've probably never been plagued like that. But every now and then it happens in my life. Now, God, you're not supposed to treat the preacher that way. But sometimes life just happens, doesn't it? Sometimes we're troubled and we're plagued and we have a temptation just like Asaph to look around us and say, God, this is not fair. I come to church faithfully. I pay my tithe. I live right to the best of my ability. Why is it? And and I'm looking at the guy down the street, and he seems to be just rolling in it. 
and he's spending it on things I won't even mention in church. And yet he's, he seems to be just, just lucky and prosperous and everything he, he touches turns to gold. Asaph is there. Now, I know you can't relate to that. That's just, just Brother Moody. But this is where Asaph is and he his writing. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupted. I, I know you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, but in light of Asaph's story, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They, they've just murdered my brother. I just attended his funeral. Why was he there? Because he spoke up for good. And they say, verse number 11, skipping down, How does God know? And Is there knowledge in the Most High? These are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. What good has it done me to live this way, to be faithful? What good has it done me? It, it's vanity. It's all done in vain. I, I've washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and, and chastened. Now, now, plagues just happen. Some, sometimes in life, plagues just happen. That's a, that's a natural occurrence. But Asaph said, not only have I been plagued, but I've been chastened. That's a God thing. The Bible does say he chastens whom he loves. That's small comfort when, you, when you're being chastened. When you're getting the whipping, that's... This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. It doesn't make a lot of difference most of the time at the moment. He said, I've been plagued, but more than that, I've been chastened. God, it, it seems like you're against me too. And if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. And even me writing this, even me thinking about this, I feel guilty because I feel like I'm accusing God. I've offended against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. It's one of those moments. You ever have those? I don't know what to do. I don't know which way to turn. I don't have any direction. I'm confused. Lord, I don't know what to do. But Asaph said, when I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. All of the sudden, the light bulb came on in Asaph's spirit when he went into the house of God. Asaph went down to the church house, and if I could translate that into 2019, we understand it was the temple and the sanctuary back then, and it would have been the place where the Ark of the Covenant was underneath that sanctuary or that tent, and you could approach. But, but, but Asaph said, when I went to the sanctuary of God, 2019, I got up on Sunday morning even though I didn't feel like it, even though I was confused and messed up in my mind and I didn't understand what was going on in my life. I got up and I went to the house of God. I put my clothes on and I went down to the church house. 
And when I came into the sanctuary of God, the teacher was teaching and the praise singers were praising and the musicians were were playing unto the Lord and the church of the living God was lifting their hands and their voices and worship and praise to God and God was being obedient to His own word and filling the tabernacle and the temple and and, and filling the praises, uh, responding to the praises of His people and, and inhabiting the praises of His people and I, I begin to feel the presence uh, the pure and the sweet presence of God I heard the word of the Lord coming forth uh, pure and undefiled from the pulpit uh, I heard the praise singer singing the songs of Zion and something in spite of my confusion clicked in my mind and my spirit and I recognized hey a self this is not about what you're going through This is not about the pain and the suffering and the trial and the difficulty and all of the things that you don't understand. God never promised you that he would let you understand. That's not part of the deal when he saved you, when he washed you and cleansed you with his blood. There's no cause in in that New Testament said, I'm going to let you understand everything you go through. What you need to understand, Brother James, is the end. Asaph, you may not understand what you're going through now, but if you'll look ahead just a few years and just a little bit of time, if you'll look just just, just a little bit into the future, you'll understand that one day you're going to live eternally in the presence of God. One day you're going to walk on streets that, as it were, of pure gold. You're going to live in the presence of God and worship in the presence of God while those that seem to be wicked uh, are prosperous in their wickedness today are going to be far from God. When I came into the presence of God, I understood it's not about me. It's not about right now. It's not about what I'm going through. It's about one day, Lord, if I stay faithful. One day, Lord, if I keep on keeping on. One day, Lord, if I keep doing what I'm supposed to do, somebody's going to stand over my casket and say, wasn't he a good man? But on the other side of that, I'm going to cross over the River Jordan and step into the promised land and greet my Savior face to face in the end. Amen. My time is up. Stand with me if you will. Sometimes when you get a chance, go back and look at the 73rd Psalm. The first part of the 73rd Psalm, Asaph writing, is filled with the pronoun they. They, 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 they. They are wicked. They are prosperous. They accuse God. They, 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 they. We all fall into the they trap. Looking around and seeing other people's blessings or prosperity or notoriety and, and say, God, it's not fair because they're doing good and I'm struggling. Read on down through there and the pronoun switches to I. Asaph turns from they to I. I didn't understand it. I felt guilty about it. Begins to turn inwardly. It's all about me. I, 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 I. But past verse number 17, when he goes into the sanctuary of God, the pronoun begins to turn to you. You, you, oh Lord, you are really good. You really got it all under control. And if you read on down just a little bit further, you'll see that the pronoun becomes double. 
And Asaph begins to say, you and I. You know how I'm going to make it? You and I. I'm going to get a hold of the hand of my Savior, and I'm going to walk. There are going to be days that I stumble and fall. There are going to be days that I struggle. There are going to be days that I I fail, but it's all right because I've got a hold of his hand. and, And I and you and you and I, we're going to make it. You're going to pick me back up. You're going to lift me up. You're going to dust me off. You're going to say, come on, you're going to be all right. Amen. You and I. Pray with me, if you will. Lord, we're so grateful and thankful for your word, the truth of your word. Lord, the encouragement that your word gives, the love and the mercy and the grace that you so freely bestowed upon us. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that through your word and through your spirit you would remind every saint of God in this place, every individual under the sound of my voice, O Lord, that the way to make it is be faithful to the sanctuary, come to the house of God, get in the presence of God, and remember that if I can keep a hold of the hand of God, if I can keep my hand in your hand, Lord, everything is going to be all right. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. God bless you. In Jesus' name, we'll take a few minutes break.